today, high double digits, and also a lot of cases of unknown source, you're not going to relax any of the social distancing measures, right? You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong and a very warm welcome to Money Talk on the final day of the Year of the Ox, Monday the 31st of January. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. The Hong Kong economy grew by 6.4% in 2021, ending two years of contraction according to advance estimates by the government. Fourth quarter economic growth reached 4.8%, down from a 5.5% increase in the July to September period. Activity in China's manufacturing and services sector edged closer to contraction in January. China's Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index fell to 50.1 in January from 50.3 a month earlier, according to the National Bureau of Statistics. The Kaishin Manufacturing PMI, which measures activity at smaller private manufacturers, declined to 49.1 from 50.9, the worst level in almost two years. The official non-manufacturing index fell to 51.1, down from 52.7 a month earlier, and the expansion of the services sector slowed sharply to 50.3, the lowest level since August. The Fed's preferred measure of inflation in the US has grown at the fastest pace since 1983. The core personal consumption expenditure price index rose 4.9% from a year ago in December, up from 4.7% in November and slightly exceeding Wall Street estimates. Headline inflation rose at a 5.8% pace, as measured by the PCE index, tied for the fastest pace since June 1982. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong at Ample Capital and William Ma from Grow Investments Group. With a view from mainland China is Brock Silvers of Kyan Capital. And please get in touch with any questions or comments. Text 6393 or email talk at rthk.hk. Do please post on our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. Money U.S. stocks ended a wild week of trading with the biggest gains of the month on Friday. The S&P 500 index added 2.4% to close at 4,432, its best session since June 2020, and reversing a drop of as much as 0.8% earlier in the day. The late afternoon rally left it up 0.8% for the week, ending a three-week run of losses and the S&P 500 posted an intraday range of at least two and a quarter percent every day last week. And the benchmark index is on pace for the weakest month since March 2020, down 7%, and the worst January since 1939. The Dow recovered from losses of more than 350 points at the lows of the day, adding 565 points to end the day at 34,725. It was the biggest daily advance since December the 6th and left the 30 stock index with gains of 1.3% over the week. 
the Nasdaq. That jumped 3.1% to 13,771, wiping out its losses from earlier in the week to leave it flat over the five days of trading. Shares of Apple surged 7% after it reported 124 billion US dollars of revenue, the best quarterly result ever in the final three months of last year. The Pan-European Stock 600 index fell 1.9% over the week. The UK's FTSE 100 lost 0.4% over the five trading days. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng dropped 257 points, or 1.1%, to 23,550, taking its loss for the week to 5.7%, the worst week in five months. The Hang Seng Tech Index slumped 9.9% last week, following a 1.7% fall on Friday, leaving it at an all-time low. Chinese authorities Friday called on the public to support the stock market ahead of the week-long holiday starting today, but to little avail. The Shanghai Composite Index fell 1% to 3,361 and extended the weekly loss to 4.6%. The CSI 300 of the largest stocks listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen slipped 1.2% Friday, leaving it down 21.4% from its February high and in bear market territory. Markets in mainland China and Taiwan are closed for the week. Hong Kong markets are open for a half-day session today before closing for the Lunar New Year, New Year holiday and then reopening Friday as normal. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil was up 3% over the week, the sixth consecutive week of rises to $90.54 a barrel. That's the highest in over seven years. Natural gas surged 13% Friday, taking its gains to 19% over the week. Copper fell 4% on the week. Gold lost over 2% and is at $1,792 an ounce. And silver dropped 8% over the week. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield was almost unchanged on the week at 1.78% and the US dollar index was unchanged Friday at an 18-month high. And the euro this morning trading at $1.11.5 cents. The bucks at 115 and a quarter Japanese yen. Sterling is at $1.34 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 44 cents. Chinese yuan is at 6.37 versus the dollar in offshore markets. Bitcoin rose almost 4% last week to $37,800. And around those Asian stock markets that are open this morning, the ASX 200 in Australia uh, is off about a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 uh, in Japan is down about 0.4% and futures markets indicating a decline of about 70 points for the Hang Seng at the open later on this morning. Let's welcome our Monday morning guests we have with us this morning. Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. And sad to say, the last time on Monday for two or three months while he takes a break. But welcome, Alex. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Peter. And also with us is William Ma, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. Welcome, William. Morning, Peter. So as you heard there, it's been another wild week of trading, maybe the wildest we've seen for a while. The uh, the S&P moved at least two and a quarter percent intraday every single day last week. Some records were broken as well. We had the Dow one day last week down a thousand points and then recovering to close in positive territory. The first time that's ever happened um, in history. Alex and William, um, what, what do you make? 
make of all this volatility? Is it is it something now that we've got to get used to, and we're going to see more of this? Well, first of all, I think uh, we we need to get used to this because uh, I think the market actually uh, is um, sandwiched by uh, the prospect of rising rates, but uh, also the um, strong earnings reports from from a lot of companies. So I think uh, that's why uh, the there's a very strong tug of war between the bull and bears at this level. I think the market actually would uh, going into a um, holding pattern right now, so we probably would. Uh, settle in a wide range, and then every day we would have uh, extreme volatility. Do you think um, uh, that the Fed is largely to co- is largely to blame for this? Uh, I think uh, uh, you can say so. I think uh, because uh, people are still um, are discounting the the prospect of tapering, uh, mm. so uh, we probably uh, are affected by that um, expectations uh, in the meantime. William, what are your thoughts? Why are we seeing this volatility? Yeah, I think in in peak valuation and strong sentiment, you know, any kind of night news, if you like, will trigger volatility. But to compound the volatility is uh, actually uh, when the rate was so late, uh, so low, when it's kind of like increasing, it will impact two things. One is the discount cash flow model. You know, when when the sum of the quant fund, they start putting in a higher, you know, weighted average cost of capital. Mm. I think that will impact the valuation in their model. So this is one trigger. The second trigger is stop losses. You know, I think when the volatility increase, some of the hard stop loss, you know, in some of the funds are being triggered and that will, you know, uh, create a ripple effect of the sell down. I think not just in the US market, in the domestic China market, we are seeing that in the last two months as well. Do you think retail investors are having a big say in this because there's record amounts of trading uh, in options at the moment? Is that having an impact as well? Yeah, uh, retail participation both in global and local has increased. So I think that they are also, you know, contributing to this kind of like risk on risk off volatility. Mm. Uh, Alex, are you, what, what do you make of some of the technology earnings? I mean, Apple um, had its best quarterly result ever. We've got Alphabet and Facebook uh, reporting this week. Are, are you surprised at how these firms just keep on managing uh, these types of profits quarter after quarter? Yes, I've, uh, of course, uh, they, are, they, are, they are very well managed and, and they are very strong in market positions. And I think the market would favor these kinds of companies right now because uh, they, are, they are quite quite concerned about those uh, companies without earnings. So uh, probably we may see a uh, fall into those uh, mega techs again because uh, they are more co- they have a higher quality and also um, people feel safer to, to park into this. So we, we may see a phase of uh, another phase of a polarization in the market. So people are dumping small and mid caps uh, techs and, and, and mm. park into this uh, mega techs. You've got to be careful, though, haven't you? I mean, if you get the wrong one, like Netflix, for example, look what happened to their uh, share price at the beginning of last week. Yeah, because uh, um, Netflix is a little bit different. I think Netflix in, in streaming business actually is being com- becoming more competitive right now. And, and, and actually Apple, Microsoft probably are still very dominant in their respective industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are Facebook and Google. So I think uh, people would differentiate on that because they would like the leader. They, they probably would borrow the idea from Warren Buffett, I think. Mm. William, what do you make of China markets over on the mainland? Uh, the CSI 300 is now down more than 20% from its high last year. It's in a bear market. Uh, we've got the Hang Seng Tech Index at an all-time low. Hasn't been a good start to the year, has it? 
Yeah, I think relatively speaking, I'm uh, positive on the China Asia market and some of the peer groups for two reasons. One is I think valuation is uh, at a very attractive zone. You know, over 60% of the companies are trading mm. at below five years average of the hist historical valuation. And second, I think we are seeing, you know, recovering sentiment in, at the beginning. For example, some of the big mutual fund and hedge fund, they are using in-house money, start, you know, buying up their own, you know, funds, which indicating a confidence of their own kind of like underlying portfolio. Last but, but not least, I think uh, 2022 will be more stock specific. We are saying, seeing some higher manufacturer, some big cat companies, actually, they are still able to increase price and with like over 30 to 40 percent earnings. But having said that, I think the economy is having some struggle, you know, just like rest of the world that, you know, created some of the volatility or the sell down pressure in general in the last few months. Uh, if you want to buy Chinese stocks at these types of valuations, as you say, the valuations are attractive. But you've got this overhang, haven't you, of policy and regulatory mm. uncertainty on the on the mainland. Are, are they these stocks now cheap enough to really be able to ride out that uncertainty? Yeah, I believe so. And it has to be sector specific. For example, banks, uh, we are not very positive in the banks in a slowing economy. But for example, some of the mid cap manufacturing, some of the consumption, you know, uh, staples, you know, those are policies, uh, supportive sectors, some of the green energy sectors. Mm. I think, you know, despite the valuation varies, but actually, if you look at the share price is being kind of like positive. And if you look at the CSI 1000 index last year, actually, it was up 16%. But CSI 300 was kind of life flat. So I think if you're in the right sector, you know, right company, still there are many investment opportunities. Alex, where would you be looking on the mainland, if at all? Uh, consumer names and also manufacturing. I think um, China would still maintain its uh, uh, COVID uh, policies. So I think uh, it would still uh, continue to be a very important in ma manufacturing hub for the world. Mm. So uh, very likely, I think uh, those uh, manufacturers would benefit from that. And consumers, I think uh, consumer names actually would, would continue to benefit from the uh, policy side. So I think uh, these two sectors would be the better one to choose. Can, can consumers sort of overcome the zero COVID policy and the lockdowns that are going on um, at the moment? Because there are signs that retail sales are, are flagging a bit, aren't they? Yeah, I think uh, you need to go for those necessity stocks. So I'm not going for those um, luxury names or discretionary names. I think uh, you, even in the, consumer stable, in the consumer sectors, you have to differentiate between the two. And yeah, what about we, the? Sorry, carry on, William. Yeah, we Peter, I, I do have some underground observation on consumption because I'm just back from Shanghai, you know, two days ago. So actually, you know, the COVID really impacting some of the consumer patterns. But when I talk to people, if not because of the COVID and lockdown, actually they won't continue to consume a little bit. But I think it's really the COVID that damper, you know, some of the consumption pattern or data that we are seeing. Is the consumer being hurt by what's going on in the property sector? Is that damaging confidence? They are, but I think it's bipolar, right? If you go to some of the big shopping mall like IFC, you know, in Shanghai and some of the tier one, tier two cities, I still see, you know, some uh, people are lining up in front of those shops. So I think in the middle mm. to high end class is okay. But mid to low end, since they, they own property anyway, I think it's being impacted by the slowing down economy. And to some extent, maybe, you know, the unemployment. Okay, let me ask you about the Hong Kong economy. It grew by 6.4% in 2021, ended two years of contraction. Fourth quarter economic growth was 4.8%. 
down from a 5.5% increase in the July to September period. Um, Alex and William, I suppose, I mean, this is obviously backward looking. The key really, isn't it, is going to be this quarter um, and how long the restrictions remain in place. What is your sense of what damage it's going to do to economic growth here this quarter? Of course, this quarter will be really, really bad because we have the current lockdown situation and that will affect a lot of sectors. And we are we are basically closed borders right now, so... Um, uh, so the, the consumptions are basically uh, domestic mainly. So uh, this uh, current quarter sector would be really bad. And do you think we could slip into recession this year? Uh, depends on uh, how long uh, this current lockdown would, would last, I think. Mm. But a lot of companies now, particularly in the in the leisure, the uh, the catering sector, they're really suffering, aren't they? They've got a lack of cash flow um, at the moment. We're seeing estimates that maybe a, a thousand eateries um, could close down um, over the coming weeks if these if these lockdowns aren't uh, aren't removed soon. Yeah, that is uh, the, the, a ma- very major concern right now because uh, basically they let cash flow to 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 to, to pay the all the necessary uh, expenses. So mm. this is uh, a very worrisome um, situation. William, what's your assessment? Yeah, I think it's a tough environment, you know, um, because for any company without, you know, stable income or cash flow for three to six months is, is quite hard. And um, hopefully, you know, um, the COVID will recover soon. I think everyone is trying their best to kind of like uh, catering or tape into this environment in the last two years already. Mm. If this lasts for several months, and we saw the well, the European Chamber of Commerce has reportedly uh, drafted a report thinking that it could last these lockdowns to maybe 2024. But if it goes on, what can be done uh, to try and, uh, replace some of the lost economic growth? What can businesses do? What can the government do? Is there anything we can do instead? Well, I think, you know, actually there are re- reshaping of the whole business model for a lot of companies, if you like. For example, there will be, you know, less demand in terms of real estate and property. Mm. There will be higher demand on kind of like online and tech. And I think a certain region has to be, you know, um, consolidated or combined together. For the case of China, I think, for example, um, domestic consumption and domestic company, if they they do, you know, regional lockdown, but the other provinces relatively is okay. But I think for the smaller country and places globally, you know, um, relying uh, uh, travel or other business has to be reshaped in terms of the whole economic, you know, GDP growth underlying, you know, factors. Alex, we had this. Uh, we saw this new plan from the National Development and Reform Commission last week about measures to deepen uh, the integration of Shenzhen, Hong Kong, and Macau into the the GBA. They were talking about uh, Insurance Connect, also having a marketplace for uh, data trading uh, and also for technology. Do you think that's going to help Hong Kong? Uh, I think, uh, of course, uh, in the long run, yes. But uh, in the in the near term, probably we did, this depends on uh, on on the COVID situation because uh, people cannot travel free between these mm. uh, few regions, uh, especially Hong Kong people. So I think that the help uh, would be minimal in the short term. I suppose all these plans to integrate further with the GBA, they're all dependent, aren't they, on the fact that we can actually travel into the GBA in the first place. The longer we remain locked down, the more we're going to become isolated, even from the Greater Bay Region. Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, because right now this is too troublesome to 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 to, to for Hong Kong people to travel into to to Macau and also uh, Shenzhen. What did you make, um, William, of of the plan? I mean, in some ways, mm. it looks quite good for Shenzhen, doesn't it? Because they're sort of uh, talking about really emphasising Shenzhen's role uh, in achieving self sufficiency in uh, in technology. 
Well, I think there are uh, demand, if you like, from the uh, Chinese domestic investor to invest globally. To put some number into perspective, you know, there are about 5% of their net worth is actually in the global asset versus, you know, Europe and US, you know, 20 to 40%. So I think there are natural demand for investors to grow globalize. And GBA definitely is a positive kind of like initiative. And second point is last year, despite the like looser China-Asia market, actually the mutual fund industry in China in terms of size was increased by 26%, which mm. indicating the government's policy in driving some of the excess liquidity in property sector are actually going to the public market. And through GBA, I think that create a room for some of the local Chinese investors to go globally as well. So I think, you know, if not because of the COVID, I believe, you know, the, the flow would be kind of like even higher. Alex, what do you make of Insurance Connect? How big a boon could that be for, for Hong Kong insurance companies? Well, that's, that's of course, is good. Uh, but uh, actually, Hong Kong insurance companies are already doing many businesses uh, with those people. So uh, the, the impact actually uh, may not be as, uh, as uh, expected. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I wish you both a very happy uh, year of the Tiger. Enjoy the break. That's Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. William Ma, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Coming up to 8.24 on the phone is Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. Morning, Brock. Good morning and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Um, let me ask, start off asking you about the markets. Hasn't been a good start for mainland Chinese markets, has it? The CSI 300 in a bear market. We have here the Hang Seng Tech Index at an all-time low. What's gone wrong? Yeah, look, the, the year certainly hasn't started well. The CSI 300 is down about 5% so far. Uh, the MSCI Index is down more than 1%, maybe 1.3%. Um, you know, but there's a good reason for this decline, despite that January is often a good month. China grew at only 4% uh, in the fourth quarter, which was below expectation. Um, mm-hmm. January factory activity contracted at the sharpest rate in two years, and the Caixin PMI fell to 49.1, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Morgan Stanley just caught, just cut first quarter growth estimates to 4.5%. Now, China risk has been dragging at the HSI, you know, as well, which just had its worst week in over a year, um, especially in terms of tech shares. What we saw happen with Huabao dropped by two-thirds due to some kind of unknown uh, China investigation. Hobson Development dropped 17% because it couldn't complete its audit. These aren't Hong Kong issues affecting Hong Kong stocks. They're China issues reflecting the larger kind of regulatory and, and real estate crises. So those are, those are some of the reasons we're off to a bad start, I think. But valuations, do they look compelling to you now? To, are they enough to maybe overcome some of these uh, uncertainties in regulation and policy? Yeah, on the one hand, at first blush, yes, you do see some enticing valuation, but I'm not sure it's, an, it, it, it's enough to really uh, make me want to pull the trigger. You know, the forward-looking landscape is dominated by zero COVID, um, the question of Chinese stimulus measures, U.S. rate hikes, and the real estate insolvency crisis. Mm. We even saw last week the CRSC uh, met with large foreign banks and asset managers trying to dispel the gloom, effectively trying to convince foreign money not to leave China. But I'm just not sure this is really going to be effective. What we need is a greater level of stability 
And right now, I, I just think the risks are, are outweighing the benefits of 4.5% growth. So why don't they just be more aggressive on the monetary policy side, cut rates, cut the medium-term lending facility, and then just go all out to try and support the economy? Well, I, I think we're starting to see that. Uh, we've seen some moves in that direction, and I think as, especially as we, uh, as we get through the Olympic period, we'll see even more. And what do you make here in Hong Kong of the economy? We had uh, the economic data out on Friday. GDP grew by 6.4% last year. In the fourth quarter, economic growth was down from 5.5% to 4.8%. Clearly backward looking, though, isn't it? It's, uh, it's all going to be about this quarter and the impact of these new latest lockdowns. Look, 4.8% in the fourth quarter, led by exports and consumer spend, that's, that's pretty good. That's what you'd want to see. But there are several caveats. You know, first, year-on-year growth is just low-hanging fruit. 2020 was a terrible year for obvious reasons. Um, second, you know, 2021, Hong Kong spent almost $5 billion USD on, on consumption vouchers. Mm-hmm. I think that's unlikely to be repeated, even though there's kind of talk of a new 10000 Hong Kong dollar voucher. Um, and third... You know, Hong Kong is slavishly adhering to China's zero COVID policy, and that carries a real downside risk. I think if Hong Kong doesn't learn to live with COVID and restart travel and economic activity, 2022 starts to look pretty bleak. You know, Hong Kong imports almost everything it needs, and the Hong Kong Association of uh, Freight Forwarding and Logistics just said, this is a quote, the air logistics chain is collapsing, unquote. Now, Singapore has already decided to live with COVID, and Hong Kong continues to export jobs and economic activity to Alliance City. Um, what else? DBS just lowered 2022 Hong Kong growth forecast to 2.4%. You know, again, from a risk-reward standpoint, that is just not enticing. And at the same time, the Fed is about to raise interest rates, which, of course, uh, affects our monetary policy um, here. Can uh, can Hong Kong survive higher rates in the U.S. and maybe substantially higher rates? Look, if if there are uh, if there are the rate uh, the rate hikes that we expect coming this year, that certainly is going to be problematic for Hong Kong. Um, I, you know, we've heard we've heard talk of a of a, a large series of rates. Some people saying as, as much as uh, I, I forget if it's five or seven, but I, I don't see anything that drastic. Um, but nonetheless, any rates are going to have a big impact here in Hong Kong, and it will just sort of add to the difficulties in the coming year. What do you make of the um, the plan from uh, the National Development and Reform Commission, uh, some new measures to try and deepen the integration between Shenzhen, Hong Kong and Macau into the Greater Bay Area? Could that help offset some of the economic damage that we're seeing here? Sure, for Shenzhen. Um, you know, GBA seems like a great thing, um, and but the revised plan is sort of big on details for areas of cooperation, insurance, semiconductors and so on. Mm. But it's light on details for economic opening measures or the treatment of foreign investors. And I just really see the plan as trying to further integrate Hong Kong as a mainland city. And much of Hong Kong's historical role would migrate northward across the bay. It's like if you went into work and they asked you to train your replacement, Um, which really begs the question as to how long would the U.S. allow dollar access effectively to Shenzhen? which is a very sort of uh, risk-filled proposition for all sides. Um, for GBA in general, you know, I'm optimistic for the mainland. I'm just not so optimistic for Hong Kong. 
Okay, well, thank you very much, Brock. Happy New Year. Happy, happy Year of the Tiger. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Cayenne Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for the Year of the Ox. In fact, the SX200 in Australia uh, down about 0.2%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is flat. Hong Kong markets are open for just half a day today before being closed uh, for the next uh, three days. And futures markets indicating a decline of about 70 points for the Hang Seng at the open later on this morning. Money Talk will be back on Friday after the Lunar New Year holidays. I'll be here for the next three days with some special holiday shows from 6 to 10 in the morning on Radio 3. So please try, try and join me then if you can. In the meantime... From all of us on the Money Talk team, I wish you a very happy, healthy and successful Year of the Tiger. Stay tuned to Radio 3 Back Chat coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse this morning. The weather forecast, cold in the morning and at night, cloudy with a few rain patches. Temperatures going to linger around 15 degrees during the day. It's still going to be relatively cold on Lunar New Year's Day as well. There is a cold weather warning in force. It's 15 degrees right now, 73% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Andy Shorsky with the half-hour news. Authorities say a resident of Shekwa House in Kwai Chung's Sekle estate has tested positive for COVID during an overnight lockdown that was imposed after the virus was found in sewage samples. The Center for Health Protection says it'll follow up on the preliminary positive case. A separate lockdown of four tenement buildings in Tokwawan did not yield any positive cases. Respiratory medicine expert and government advisor David Hoy says people shouldn't expect the introduction of vaccine passes alone to be enough to ease social distancing measures. Professor Hoy said the restrictions on entry for unvaccinated people to be implemented next month may have to include public transport. In principle, public areas such as these sort of crowded areas should be covered by the vaccine pass. However, there are some practical issues. How do you actually check the individual citizens? So that is actually uh, requiring a lot of thinking within the government, whether to cover these areas. Certainly, the vaccine pass is important, but you also need to look at the outbreak control. If you still have double digits every day, high double digits, and also a lot of cases of unknown source, you're not going to relax any of the social distancing measures, right? The health secretary, Sophia Chan, has led calls for people to take care and limit gatherings during this week's Lunar New Year holiday. Writing on her official blog, Professor Chan said people could send their Year of the Tiger greetings virtually to avoid spreading COVID-19. The Center for Health Protection's Dr. Chuang Shukchuan said several new COVID patients had joined family gatherings last Sunday. She urged caution during the holiday. Be careful, especially if there are elderly involved or who has not yet get vaccinated. If they get infected, uh, there may be uh, some complications. The SAR recorded 81 new cases yesterday, 77 of them local. 15 cases had no clear source. And the Israeli president, Itzhak Herzog, is in the United Arab Emirates on the first visit there by an Israeli head of state. Israel has offered security and intelligence support to the UAE, which has suffered drone attacks by Houthi rebels based in Yemen twice in the past month. As he set off, Mr. Herzog said, it wasn't every day that one had the privilege of making history. I will be meeting the leadership of the United Arab Emirates at the invitation, personal invitation, of Prince Mohammed bin Zayed, the Crown Prince, 
and I am grateful for his courage and bold leadership carving out a peace agreement with Israel and sending a message to the entire region that peace is the only alternative for the peoples in the region. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chapter. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. Here we go again. Uh, we, uh, indeed we do. And on today's programme we're talking about uh, tourism and travel during the pandemic. Uh, with uh, travel restrictions remaining in place in many countries around the world, the tourism 